Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. We're now halfway through our series on holiness. And what we've been doing is some really biblical theology on kind of tracing the development of the theme of holiness throughout the scriptures. We began by learning that holy is a unique word that means unique and set apart. Uh, And that the Bible is clear that people, places, things, even time can be called holy in addition to God. So it isn't just God who is holy, uh, but these other things as well, that the holiness of God is reaching out. And we took this to mean that God's holiness is actually this invitation to participate in the nature and character of God. And so we've been kind of tracing how has humanity understood that as it's recorded in the biblical narrative. And we discovered that at first, God's holiness is seen as dangerous. That God's holiness was so strong that getting too close could actually kill you. But also that our impurities are fundamentally incompatible with God's holiness. So uh, you had to become ritually pure before participating in worship. And for a long time, it was assumed that impure things infected holy things with their impurity. And this meant that there was this incompatibility between ourselves and God. Well, last week we looked at two prophetic visions Uh, The first from the prophet Isaiah, where he was in the temple and a seraph touched his lips with a coal from the altar and made him clean. And the second was from the prophet Ezekiel, where he saw streams of water coming out from the temple, bringing life to all that it touched. And both visions, we discovered, actually flip the narrative of holiness as it had been understood up to that point, up on its head. Because in the first... Isaiah's impurity should have infected the piece of coal. But instead, Isaiah was transformed by the holiness of this object that really represented a visual representation of the holiness of God. And then in the second vision, instead of people having to become pure and then go to the temple for worship, the holiness of God is actually moving out of the temple into the world, bringing life and purity. And so... Uh, It's these two kind of transformative, beautiful, like imagination capturing visions. Uh, And but the reality is, is after these visions, that was that they were just visions. These two prophets had these revolutionary pictures uh, of what the holiness of God was all about. But in tangible everyday life, nothing really changed. Uh, They really didn't know what to make of it. And neither did the people who read their writings after they died. That for generations, people were reading these visions from the prophet Isaiah and Ezekiel and wondering, what do we make of this? And how does this picture fit into the reality of our daily lives? And so there was confusion until a man named Jesus appears on the scene. I've invited a collection of readers to read for us different narratives or a series of stories that are from the ministry of Jesus, and I want you to hear those now. After leaving the synagogue, he entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him about her. Then he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. 
Immediately she got up and began to serve them. As the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various kinds of diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on each of them and cured them. Once, when he was in one of the cities, there was a man covered in leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you choose, you can make me clean. Then Jesus stretched out his hand, touched him, and said, I do choose. Be made clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught, and there was a man there whose right hand was withered. The scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would cure on the Sabbath so that they might find an accusation against him. Even though he knew what they were thinking, he said to the man who had the withered hand, Come and stand here. He got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath to save a life or just to destroy it? After looking around at all of them, he said to him, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was restored. Soon afterwards, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went with him. As he approached the gate of the town, a man who had died was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow, and with her was a large group crowd from the town. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came forward and touched the coffin, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, rise. The dead man just sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Thanks be to God for the reading of his word. You know, as you, when you read the Gospels and you read them in bulk, you kind of get a sense of like these threads that work their way through the entirety of the story in all of the Gospels. And one of those threads is the way that Jesus operates in the world is so new and so different that people are either confused by him or infuriated by him. And one of the groups that is consistently at odds with Jesus is a group called the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees are really an interesting group. Their name, Pharisee, means separated ones, which goes right along with the definition of holiness, right? Holiness is unique and set apart. And so they were this religious and political party that insisted that the law of God be interpreted and followed just as the scribes had intended it. Now, being that their name meant separated ones, they had special concern for purity laws. And they had this law, all these laws memorized. They followed these laws themselves and were really passionate about making sure that everyone else that followed Yahweh kept the law as well. In other words, the Pharisees, this group of religious and political leaders, were heavily invested in maintaining a system of ritual purity. Uh, it was attached to their identity as separated ones and to their livelihood as law interpreters. But it wasn't all just self-interest for them, their, their passion to maintain this. They were also passionate about preserving God's holiness by keeping clear separation from anything that would be, be impure. So they were a zealous people, but they in fact consistently find themselves at odds with the ministry and life of Jesus. 
And the primary confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees is when you boil it all down and you kind of look at all the, all the times that Jesus is calling the Pharisees out or the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus, when you look at all of this and you boil down, what is the primary concern or what is the primary conflict over? You realize it's over the definition of holiness. What does it mean to be holy? Now, for the Pharisees, holiness meant separation from anything and anyone that would render them impure. Jesus, however, seems to take a totally different approach to holiness. He himself claims that he is, in fact, God's son. He is God made flesh. But then he, as he enters the scene announcing the arrival of God's kingdom, he's drawn to people who are considered unclean or unfit to enter into God's presence in the temple. And so in each of the stories that we read this morning, what we find is that Jesus puts his own purity at risk by touching an unclean person. But in each case, the holiness of Jesus who is the incarnation of God, God made flesh, the holiness of Jesus was greater than the impurity that was brought through the touch. And so instead of Jesus acquiring the impurity, the leper is cleansed, the sick are healed, and the dead are raised. In other words, Jesus is just like the holy coal from the altar in Isaiah's vision. That even though the prophet Isaiah never fully knew what his vision meant, hundreds of years later, as his vision lived in the memories of the people of Israel, God became flesh in Jesus Christ and showed the true nature of holiness. That Jesus became the holy coal from the altar of God who touched impurity and then wonderfully, mysteriously, miraculously transferred his purity to, other, to those who were impure transferred his purity to those who were impure. And what this meant is that the whole system that the Pharisees were upholding and policing was about to be blown up. And so, suffice it to say, this group was not thrilled with the life and ministry of Jesus. And his message was a threat to their identity and their livelihood. And so, they also could not so easily accept that Jesus was the Messiah because if he really was the one who was to proclaim and enact God's rule on the earth, then the driving question is why would he be associating with those who are not leading holy lives? And again, it boils down to an understanding of holiness. And I want you to listen carefully because this has everything to do with not only their lives back then, but our lives right here and right now. Is holiness something you gain through staying clear of impurities and keeping all the rules? Or is holiness something gained through a cleansing encounter with Jesus? Is holiness something earned through self-protection and self-preservation? Or is holiness a gift received from a touch of Christ? Another way of thinking about this is, what is it that has the strongest infection rate? Is it sinful impurities like hate, greed, violence, and racism? 
Or is it holy love and the holy love of forgiveness, hospitality, grace, and peace? Which of these things has the greatest rate of infection? How we answer these questions will deeply influence our ideas of what it means to be Christian. In all honesty, a lot of the ways that I see the kind of modern American church is operating with the mindset of a Pharisee. That the too often we have understood the Christian faith as insulating ourselves from the evils of the world in order to protect ourselves from sinful infection. But when we do that, and when that's our main mode of operation in the world, can I say to us gently and lovingly, we are still working from an old mindset of holiness. But the good news is, if, if we are taking our cues from Jesus as we should be, then we recognize that he was drawn to the people considered unclean, on the margins, the oppressed, or the so-called unimportant. That he came to them and he showed them that holy love is meant to be shared. And so for Jesus, compassion for the marginalized, the oppressed, always trumped concerns about purity. Let me say that again. For Jesus, compassion for the marginalized and the oppressed always trumped concerns for purity. Jesus was on God's mission, and his mission was not centered on telling privileged, middle-class people how to have a better afterlife. But rather, the mission of God that Jesus was sent upon was to victims of injustice, and he began to proclaim a new day when justice would roll down like a river and when all things would be made new. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is what holiness looks like with clothes on. Because when we talk about the holiness of God, it can feel abstract or hard or difficult to get a handle on. But when you see the holiness of God revealed in Jesus Christ, holiness becomes more tangible. Holiness puts clothes on and begins to walk around the earth and minister to people. And so Jesus's main problem with any of his opponents, whether they be the Pharisees or not, was that they missed the central point about God's holiness. That God is not an angry, finger-wagging patriarch who is waiting to catch you doing something wrong. But rather, he is a gracious God whose essence is holy love. I love how uh, Kent Brower puts it in his book called Holiness in the Gospels. He says this, Holiness in the view of Jesus was not maintained by ritual purity, but by the integrity of being identified wholly and unreservedly with the purposes of God in compassion and redemption for a lost and dying world. Wow. That just shifts everything and changes how we understand holiness. In other words, you might say it this way. Holiness never looks at itself to see how great it is at being holy. But rather, holiness is too busy being shared with others who need good news. And so Jesus, 
uh, embodies the truth of holiness through his actions, but we also find that he's teaching this. He's showing us these concepts. And he wants us to help both his disciples and his dissenters understand the nature of who God is and therefore understand what it means to be holy. And he does this uh, so brilliantly, as Jesus often does through telling of stories. And in Luke 15, there's a series of three stories that all have a similar theme. And before Jesus tells these three stories, I want you to listen to Luke chapter 15, the first couple of verses. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now the Pharisees were grumbling that Jesus ate and seemed to befriend those who were unclean. And I can imagine that their grumbling uh, was either filled with doubt, hey, this can't be the Messiah if he's acting this way, or it was filled with disappointment. Wow, this, is, this person is the Messiah and he's acting like this? And so we have that kind of context before Jesus tells these three stories. First, the story of the lost sheep, which is a story about a shepherd in charge of a flock of 100, but notices that one sheep is missing. So he leaves the 99 in the wilderness, no doubt, to find the one, which he does and then celebrates. And then there's the story of the lost coin. It's a story of a woman who has 10 coins but loses one. And so she searches with persistence until she finds the lost coin. And then she throws a party to celebrate and the party costs way more than the one coin was even worth. And then the story of the lost son, most often referred to as the prodigal son. This is the story of a young man who takes his father's inheritance early, blows it on wild living. When he's out of money and desperate, he decides to return home to beg his father to work as a servant in his house. But the father sees his son returning home and the the father runs to him and quickly throws a party. But this makes the older son quite angry because he has never received such treatment, even though he was always with the father. In all three of these stories, God is shown as gracious and persistent. He's shown as one who lovingly and extravagantly celebrates the rescue of every single repentant sinner. But here's the key thing. With these stories, Jesus was inviting the Pharisees to join him in celebrating that the impure, the marginalized, the oppressed, those who could be called sinners can now be counted among the people of God. May we be humble enough to see ourselves as people in need of a gracious and holy Father and not as ones who are so perfectly clean that we're trying to keep everyone else out. And you know, God has challenged me Do I celebrate when oppressed people are freed? Do I rejoice when marginalized people rejoice? Or am I just a Pharisee in khaki shorts and a ball cap? You see, Jesus is the embodiment of Israel's temple vision, and he represents for us a radical redefinition of holiness. And I'll leave you with another quote from Kent Brower's brilliant book, 
holiness in the Gospels. It says this, No longer is holiness to be conceived of essentially as separation, but rather holiness is contagious, outgoing, embracing, and joyous. To which I say, Amen. May it be so.